The following content is provided to you as a ministry of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a high-adventure Christian wilderness camp in Andrews, North Carolina. Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters exist to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through the exposition of Scripture and personal relationships in order to equip the church to impact this generation. For more information, visit our website at swoutfitters.com or follow us on Twitter using the handle at SnowbirdSwo. Enjoy the message. Hello, hello, hello. It's four o'clock and we're going to get started. Um, so hopefully everybody had a good time on rec this afternoon and uh, I'm excited about our panel right now. So, you know, this morning when we talked, we had zero questions and then we got in about 35 questions. Uh, so we have 45 minutes for this session. So uh, minute of question, go. Uh, so we, we did try to compile a lot of the questions and, uh, and form them into a little bit more general questions, but so that we kind of get the spirit of a lot of your, uh, a, a lot, the intent behind your questions. If we don't answer your questions specifically, man, we would love to, uh, have individual conversations after this, or, or if we didn't get quite the, the nuance of your particular situation, man, we'd love to have conversations. Uh, so hopefully these the way we've compiled these, we've, we've brought it down to eight questions. Uh, and so these guys will take turns answering two apiece. Uh, and so hopefully we'll, um, we'll get kind of to the spirit of, of what most of you guys are asking. So let me pray for us. Uh, well, actually, before I pray, everybody uh, knows John Jim Bryan, who spoke this morning. Uh, but this is Rob Conti, spoke last night. If you missed it, Rob Conti. Uh, and Zach Mabry, uh, who's been leading worship in uh, and he's here full-time as well. So, all right, let me pray for us. Jesus, I pray that you would guide our conversation now, that you would guide us as we, um, as guide these guys as they speak from your word and from their experience. And Lord, I pray that for us as we listen, God, that you would guide us by the power of your Holy Spirit and that you would make the application to our parent groups, to our churches, to our students. Uh, we love you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. All right, the first question, we really took about one, two, three, four, five, six questions and kind of compiled them into one question. We had questions that had to do with how do I help to change the culture at my church? And some of the questions had to do with music, how solid the music is. Some of the questions had to do with uh, how do I change the culture doctrinally within my staff? Some of the questions had to do with just the, the overall vision and theology of the staff or maybe a performance-based mindset. So we, uh, we termed the question, how can I help change the culture within my church or church staff? And this question's for Zach. Yeah, okay. So um, I'm going to address generally and then a couple specific things. The, uh, a lot of it is just has to do with the application of what Rob was teaching last night about being an example in speech and conduct and love, faith and purity. And I think it's you're obviously it's going to be difficult. You know, um, who is it today that was... Oh, Rob, last night also talking, to, joking on uh, student pastors and how it's easy to look like a JV pastor or, you know, like not quite a pastor. And, um, and that's on other people, right? And let's be honest, some student ministries and student pastors have ruined reputation for everybody else. And that's just a reality that you, you're fighting from behind. And so what you need to do is you need to have that type of mindset to be an example. And what I think what's, what's super important for us is to be uh, people of conviction, where you are committed to following Scripture wherever it leads, uh, but then to be patient as well. 
and that to know, to be in a place and where if God has called you there, then to plan on being there for the long term and not feel like you have to change everything about your church or your church staff right now, but to be a voice who is constantly drawing you back to the scriptures, constantly drawing the conversation back to the scriptures. So uh, when it comes to theology, you know, one of the questions was like, one of our pastors said that anything that has to do with Calvinism is heretical. And at that point, you need to say, okay, great. Well, let's obviously not everything that Calvin believed was heretical, right? He's a man and he's faulty. So there's some things that he was wrong on, but let's compare whatever, let's take it back and compare Calvin's teachings to scripture, right? Because there's going to be some areas where we have to agree and some areas where I think we also have to disagree, but um, it's really ambiguous right now because we don't know what each other's thinking about the things that we should agree and disagree on. Um, where he, and so where he, especially if he's drawing his teachings from the Bible, then we would agree with him. And so let's try to avoid foolish controversies. We talked about that last night. Just avoid that. And let's go back to the scriptures. And so uh, there are going to be times where it will be helpful for you in the student ministry to help gently bring the pastor, if that's the case, into, well, let's check this with the scriptures, you know? And there's a lot of misconceptions about people that believe all sorts of things. They'll throw out a label. Oh, well, they are this, so they believe that. Well, let's, let's talk about it. Is that really what they're believing? Isn't that really, is that really what that person taught? So our, we should have a patient conviction to follow Scripture, knowing that this is a long-term, always turning the conversation back to Scripture. A couple of the questions had to do with where you feel like your church has to do with, like, performance and... Uh, and, the, and it feels like everything's based on this appearance and performance. And that's where, and you want to, and you're wanting to have it more relational and have real accountability with the staff. Well, someone has to lead in that. And it could be that you're the one who needs to be the catalyst to say, hey, guys, you know, here we are working alongside of each other. It feels like we don't really know each other and that we're guarded against each other. And uh, we, I feel like I can't really share. So let's, let's really share. We're pastors together, let's share. Um, so uh, I think that a lot of times, again, it has to be, you can't allow yourself to just get angry or frustrated. If this is where God has called you, then you need to be have that patient, long-term conviction to Scripture to come back to that. Uh, the one uh, conversation about music, uh, I think that's a really wise question to ask, and I, there, needs to be a, there does need to be a conversation. You need to make sure that the songs that you're singing together are biblical and are honoring the Lord. And sometimes uh, there are some more controversial ministries out there. Uh, David and I were talking about that last night. Like you look across the board, you look at like Bethel or Hillsong or um, Elevation. And some of those ministries we, you wouldn't wholeheartedly endorse, but some of the songs that they're producing are really good. And I, and I think I'm, I'm perfectly fine with using songs from a ministry that I think there are people in this ministry that I disagree with theologically, but this song that they're doing is honoring to the Lord. It's biblical. And then I do think there is a conversation where, especially with your students, you could easily say, hey, guys, you know, we've been singing some stuff from Bethel, but I'm, I'm not endorsing that as a ministry. 
You guys need to check everything that they say with Scripture. And this song that they've done is really great, and we're going to use it to worship the Lord. But then again, if you do have um, a pastor, one of, if someone in your church who's making decisions that says we're not going to do this, then I think that's fine to support that decision and say, okay, guys, this is in, in church together corporately. The pastor's deciding that we're not going to sing from the, groups from this, and you need to support the pastor in that. And then, and then have that as a conversation. Say, you know, at your, at your home, you can listen to music that exalts the Lord, that's biblical, but we're not going to do it corporately because we don't want to give our church to give a, a seal of approval on that ministry. So again, same thing. We're going to try to go back to Scripture, patient conviction, long-term. Anybody else? Okay, great. Yeah, culture change creeps slowly and usually happens relationally. Uh, so let's go to our second question, which is uh, for Johnji. Uh, this is one of the most common questions uh, that we got, or that we that we usually get as well, and one of the most important. I'm talking about balance and boundaries for ministry families. So the the question was worded: uh, whether volunteering or as a full time pastor, how do you create balance and boundaries to foster a healthy family while still serving the way God's called you to? Yeah. So uh, my wife and I have been married for 20 years. We have four kids, 17, um, 17, hang on, sorry, I'm trying to fix this, Shh. 17, um, 17, 15, uh, 14, and 12, and uh, so, um, so yeah, so, so I'm going to use the word blend over balance every day. Uh, because I tried that, the balancing. Uh, at the end of the day, I'm very passionate for ministry. Uh, it, it, you know, as you are, you're, you're gonna pay. You're gonna pay me. You're gonna pay me to do this. Are you kidding me? Um, it's it's crazy to think that we do. And some of you don't get paid. That it's a volunteer situation. So, uh, so from that, both of those angles, the the number one priority for me um, when I proposed to my wife 21 years ago, I said to her, "You will always be number two in my life." My number, Jesus will always be number one. I need you to know that right out of the gate. But I promise you that my number two will be better than everybody else's number one. Come on. Oh, baby. Um, so, and I've spent the, and I've spent the, <laughs> yeah, that was good, wasn't it? And I've spent, the, yeah, it was one of the moments where you're like, yeah. Um, so, so I've spent 20 years, <laughs> so, so 20 years trying to live up to that. 20 years trying to follow those guardrails and, of course, Rob mentioned last night the, the qualifications for those who are in, in, in an overseas situation in ministry. It's, it, it's the husband and one wife, and then there's some personal characteristics that are there. And then it goes right into you need to make sure you lead your family well, first and foremost. Because if you can't lead your family well, then you've got no business being involved in leadership in any fashion whatsoever within the church. And, and so I was very bold about that in every situation I was in. You all need to understand that if I come to be the student pastor here, or if you desire me to come on staff here, that you're going to be a very distant four in my life. Jesus will be my number one. My wife is two. My kids, however many God chooses to bring into our tribe at that moment, will be three, and you will be four. And if there's ever an issue with the first three, I'm out on number four. Um, and, and in every situation that I have been in, the churches have found that very refreshing. Like, hey, thank you for taking that stand. Um, because we've seen certainly the other side of that. We know what that looks like. Now, have I always gotten it right? No. Um, uh, the church planting world for us was, was, was very difficult. 
um, because now she's at home with, with four babies, and I'm, I'm passionate about cultivating something new in a new community, and then we're birthing new churches. Our goal was to plant more and more churches. We're going to celebrate 10 years this September and nine autonomous church plants from Bozeman, Montana to Florida to Somatillo, Nicaragua, and they're all autonomous. It's not my face on a screen somewhere. I'm not opposed to that. God just didn't call me to that. And in the midst of that, we were launching church number three. My wife came to me during our kitchen table. Uh, we call it lid time on Sunday nights where my calendar comes open, her calendar comes open, and it's like, hey, what does this week look like? And she said to me, I need to talk to you about Psalms 4610, where be still and know that God is God. Be still and know that he is exalted among the nations. He's exalted. And I want to put our family in that. And she said to me this. Here's what she said. She said, I feel dis- distant and I'm disconnected. Now, truth be told, I wish I could say that I was just filled with warmth for her in that moment. The hairs on the back of the, my head began to stand up because I'm thinking, I'm fine. What's wrong with you? But I had just enough brains to not say that. I had just enough brains to realize that how I felt about what she said was irrelevant. What mattered is that my bride, whom God has called me to first, has just opened up to me. And, and we had to set some things in place. Uh, one of my mentors said to me, date weekly, retreat quarterly, vacation yearly. And we don't always get it right, but it's something that we, that we really try to put in place and uh, there's a, if I could give you something that's really been, been a bombshell for my wife and I that we've really tried to listen to, um, a guy by the name of Lyle Dorsett wrote a book called A Passion for God, The Spiritual Journey of A.W. Tozer. A.W. Tozer, that's where we get pursuit of God, the knowledge of the holy, get you some of that deep stuff. The most damning statement in the book came from Ada or Ada, not quite sure how you say that, but it was Tozer's wife. Here's her quote. After Tozer died and she remarried, I have never been happier in my life. Aiden Tozer loved Jesus Christ, but Leonard Odom loves me. You can go a long way with that. I want my wife to know that I loved Jesus, but I love her more than anything. And so for us, we choose to blend versus trying to balance in ministry and incorporating what we do out of those first three in my life. The number four is an overflow of what's happening in my life and in my family. That's good. Number three is for Rob. Um, uh, Again, it's easy with these questions to feel like we're changing the channel because we're hitting different topics. If you want to go deeper on these subjects, uh, man, Love to talk individually about this. Love to sit over supper if you're able to hang out and hang around tonight. Uh, love to, to go deeper into that subject. Uh, super important. Number three, for Rob, what are the best resources for discipling students that you found or that you've used? And then what sort of methodology or approach would you suggest to accomplish it, like one-on-one or accountability groups or three or four people or whatever? Awesome. Thanks. Um, all right, so let me first start by... I'm going to read a quick definition of discipleship. Um, At its core, discipling is essentially whatever we do intentionally to intentionally help other Christians to grow up in holiness. It's a process of becoming like Christ. 
It's not a program. It may mean reading a good Christian book and discussing it. It may mean outlining a book of the Bible together. It may mean going through a class together and discussing it over lunch. Um, The key is whatever you do should be rooted in the truth of Scripture and presented on the basis of an intentional loving relationship. Did you get all that? Good. Um, So essentially what we're saying, right, is that as a disciple, I am following Jesus, that I'm growing in a relationship with Jesus that's marked by love and obedience and submission, and then to disciple somebody is to bring them along in it, that I'm teaching them by my words and my example how to follow Jesus, right? So that, that's essentially what it is, and so it can take on different forms, and it should take on different forms. Um, so I'd say within that, one-on-one, yes. Small group, yes. Large group, yes. However that looks, that there's going to be formal and informal times of discipleship, um, and and depending on where you are and what season of life, it's going to look different with different groups of people. Um, so having said that, primarily um, what I believe and what I would fight for and hold to is, man, taking somebody through Scripture, teaching them how to feed themselves from Scripture, walking through a book of the Bible, whether that's uh, corporately, um, small group, one-on-one. Man, I want them to learn how to study Scripture for themselves, so they become a lifelong student of the Word of God, so they're learning how to uh, read Scripture, get the meaning, and apply it, and submit to it. So, um, now, with that, you know, I know, man, there's a lot of people who are uh, volunteering their time. You work a full-time job, you have a full-time family, and you're probably as convicted as I am over the last answer, where I just wanted to walk out and call my wife and tell her I loved her, and I was on my way home. Um, (laughs) So, I mean, we're busy, right? We're busy people, and so there's not always a lot of time to do all, especially if you're dipping into discipleship in different arenas, um, man, there are really good resources out there, so I wanted to uh, tell you some of them. So one, uh, just as a starting point, a great book, this is a simple book, I read this whole thing. Yeah, I mean, cover to cover. Uh, So you can do it. If I can do it, you can do it. It's called Gospel-Centered Youth Ministry. Within this, uh, there's a lot of, it just breaks down different topics, different authors, and they are all pointing you in further direction for more help. Gospel-Centered Youth Ministry by uh, Cole and Nielsen, okay? Um, Now, uh, oh, okay, so now these I've looked at, and I'm, I'm personally vaguely familiar with it, but I've talked to people that uh, love and trust that use these, and, and so I don't have any hesitation in, in recommending them. Um, just wanted full disclosure. Uh, Youth Ministry 360, YM360. Um, a great resource. You can check that out. Uh, they've, they've got, it seems like they've got everything, like, I mean, in a package that you can get that will run your student ministry, um, that, you know, from teaching Corporately, small group setting, one-on-one discipleship, games. The only thing that looked a little suspect was their camps. But, um, you know, just (laughs) throw that out there. No, I'm sure they're okay. Um, (laughs) I mean, I'm I'm a company man, you know. Um, I'm as loyal to whatever camp will pay me. No. Uh, (laughs) Um. But oh yeah, I'm over time. So so yeah, that that ministry looks awesome. Um, the Gospel Project, a uh, lot of the great great tools there. The Gospel Project, 
Um, and, and so you check those out. You can just Google those, find them easy. Um, and, but but I, again, I'd say, man, use those things. Use those things, but nothing is going to, nothing, again, discipleship is not a program. Nothing's going to replace the relationship that has to be built where they see you. Like, I mean, nothing's going to replace them seeing you share the gospel. You want to teach your kids how to share the gospel, let them see you share the gospel. And I get emotional about the gospel. Okay, great. Uh, our fourth question is for Brian. And uh, the question, we had one, two, three, four, five questions. Uh, obviously, we could spend a long time talking about parents in youth ministry. Youth ministry would be way easier if it weren't for the parents. Uh, so some of the questions were, were, uh, were centered around, man, how do you empower parents to disciple their own kids at home? How do you, what are practical ways to equip them to be the number one discipler in their kids' lives? How do you take, how do you help them see and take that responsibility seriously? Um, how do we, how do we disciple the, uh, their kids without usurping their authority? Um, how do you get parents involved in youth, youth ministry? So we kind of brought that into one question, which is, how can I get parents involved in discipling their kids and kids in the youth group? Well, in light of Rob's definition of discipleship, we obviously want parents modeling Christ to their students, to their children. This is a great opportunity for you to engage in conversation with your senior pastor, with your other pastors on staff, because this is a church-wide concern, not just a student ministry concern, okay? You as a team uh, need to work together to impact the lives of parents, students, children, the family as a whole. Now, if we want parents to disciple their students, it's not just about sending home a resource. Now, we, we've done, we've sent questions home and said, hey, parents, engage in conversation with your student about the lesson we've taught or about the study we've been going through. Uh, so anytime that there's communication and conversation between a student and their parent, that's a good thing. We want to see that happen. But if we're asking them to model Christ, they need to be understanding the importance for them to grow personally, to grow spiritually, and then to live that in their homes. Uh, teenagers still say that their parent is the most influential person in their life for the vast majority. And so we want to help parents, and you can tell them, your teenager wants to hear from you. They want to see what, what is important to, to them. You know, they want to see the, their parent model to them what is important in their lives. Um, certainly, it would be great if spouses were priority, if Jesus was a priority, you know, if they they could model what John G. was talking about as well. That'd be great. Uh, let me move to the other aspect of it, which is how do you get parents involved? Um, we, when we do our annual parent meeting, we basically invite parents to come and be a part. Now, we have a wide range of opportunities for parents to be involved. Obviously, if you're going to teach, open up scripture, do mentoring, there's a process that I talked about this morning. But if you're just coming to do check-in, if you're coming to... Uh, greet somebody in the parking lot, if you're coming to inter interact with parents when they're dropping their student off or whatever, that doesn't require a whole lot of work. Now, we do a little bit of training. As a matter of fact, I have a new couple coming tomorrow morning. I won't be there, but our staff is going to be training them on how to do the check-in and how to be greeters. Um, it's because I have a great staff. I trust them, and they know the process, and they can get it done. But we invite parents, and so we, we have broken down all of our opportunities and all of our jobs and all of our expectations and said, if you want to be long-term, if you want to commit to a year and then re-up for another year, great. If you want to just come for an event, 
or every other week or once a month, here are different jobs you can do. And so we, we just wait for them to tell us, uh, at least in those categories, I've got some time. I'd like to help you. I, I'd like to do this. And what we have found is when we can get them in the door doing check-in or, or helping out at a game on a particular activity, they see our heart. They see us interacting with their student and others, and they want to be involved more. And so we engage in further conversation. So involving your parent is about communicating with them, letting them know that you need them, letting them know that they have a place, because oftentimes they think their teenager wants nothing to do with them. I don't want you in our student ministry. Don't come around. We have found that to be completely opposite. We have more students that are excited that their parents actually show up and are doing, th- now maybe not teaching their small group and you know, getting in their business, but being there because they actually care, they care about their students' life and what's going on and who their friends are. So you know, put together a list, find out where you need help, and then let them know that you have needs. And then accordingly, based on the level of responsibility, just clarify that. All right. Uh, one more question for each of you. So halfway through. Uh, question number five goes to John G. How do you know, how, or how does one know, uh, the right time to move on from a church? Is it ever right to leave a place to which God's called you when there's not yet a calling elsewhere? It's good. Good question. Um, I think that what we need to remember is that nowhere in the Bible does God ever say, I will follow you. Ever. God never comes to anybody in the Bible and says, hey, what do you think about? I'd love to, but I kind of want to hear what you have to say. You don't ever see that. God's God. He sits on his throne, and he's your boss, and he's who you follow. And wherever you're serving, you're there on assignment. I love what Zach said in the beginning. You don't go as a stepping stone to, 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 to do a resume build because this, this will look really good, and then one day I'll go too. You put your hand to the plow, and you don't let up until God calls you to move on. And even where you are, it's, it's very easy to get the Jesus mentality, because look at all the good things that God is doing. Look at all the things that, and, and keep in mind that he's the chief shepherd, capital S. You're the little shepherd. Uh, Corey Ten Boom said, hold everything loosely. It will hurt when God takes it away. Um, good word that everything that, that you have that you're influencing um, is, is by the gift of God. And, and also be smart enough to recognize that God, it's those cases where God just leaves somebody in the same location forever, they're few and far between. They are. And, and I, made, I made a lot of mistakes early on, that youth ministry that, that I took in seminary that was running, doing a really good job of 50 students, and we took it to 77 students. That was the church that if I could get two 55-passenger buses packed to drive to Snowbird, ooh, we'd really be doing something, and we did. When I left and God moved me back home where my father was dying of Alzheimer's and, and graced me with the opportunity to be there during that season and for him to know my firstborn son. When I left that church, they went from 77 in Sunday school to 17. Epic fail. I was the Pied Piper. I didn't equip people to do the work of the ministry. And I began to look at everything very different. That this isn't mine, this is Jesus's ministry. And when he, when he gives me this tug, there's, for me, there's always been this push and this pull. And generally, they're both from God. That there's, Sometimes there's this push. I know you love these people, and I know you're all in and you're entrenched, but I have something else for you that I need you to do, and somebody else needs to come in and do something that, that you're not gifted at. That's okay. 
for you to be responsive to that. Sometimes it's a, it's a push of the people in that church. You're just not the right guide or, or the right person to take it on to the next place. And when my wife and I began to feel that tug, we began to pray, God, would you, would you confirm it in the people around us? You're the God who causes people to have dreams at night, that they just wake up and they go, oh, I had a dream that you were standing before the church telling people you were leaving. That happened two weeks after my wife and I began praying. Is it time for us to leave and go serve back in, in our hometown because my father's dying of Alzheimer's? Is that selfish that I want to be there? At the end of the day, I want to say this to you. First Samuel chapter 3, somebody's trying to hear a voice, and they don't know what it is. Eli's the priest, and young Samuel hears, hears, and he runs to Eli. You know, the little feet, can you hear running down the hallway? Eli, Eli, Eli. And he's like, go back to bed, boy, I didn't call you. And he goes back to sleep, and then he comes down, and hears it again. He goes down, this is like three times, and then Eli finally wakes up, and it's like, what if God is speaking? The scriptures say the Lord came and stood and you know what Eli, Samuel's response was? Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. How do I answer that question? My best response to you is follow that example in 1 Samuel 3. Get in a closet and say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. God is talking. What I've known in my own life is I'm not always listening to what he, he might say. I need you to stay. This is going to get difficult. It's going to get tough. And this is going to be nasty. And the Sunday when I was an interim youth pastor for a season, the guy stood up and preached from a book of everything I needed to know I learned in kindergarten. That was his text. And every time you see a rainbow, that's God repenting of his sin. People in the church got up and walked out. And God said, nope, don't you go anywhere. I called you here. And I realized you're doing great if 12 teenagers show up. But, but I, there's a remnant here that I'm working with. And I need you to stay. And then there were times where God was like, okay, it's time to move on. It's time to move on to something else. At the end of the day, God is your boss. Do exactly what he says and leave all the consequences up to him. All right, for Brian, uh, we heard some great things about training and equipping leaders this morning. What do you do to evaluate your leaders? What do you do when they don't meet your expectations? What do you do when other things keep them from attending your training sessions, like they're good leaders but work or family or whatever take precedent? Right. So we, we do a little form, obviously, uh, and they do self-evaluations. And what we did is we handed out this form. We had a n- number of questions that were pertinent to the list of expectations and responsibilities that they signed, and we just asked them, how are you doing? Give yourself a score between 1 and 10. Where would you rate yourself? You'd be amazed at how critical people are of themselves as opposed to your opinion. My, my scores were always higher than theirs, but I didn't know all the things that were going on in their life. So what we did then is once they did that assessment, we divided them into by division, so middle school and ninth and 10th and junior and senior, and a different staff person sat with them and just discussed it. You know, similar to a, a review uh, at work, I mean, we just sat down and discussed, and we found more things that we could pray for and encourage them with than you're not doing this very well. We wish you would live up to this. It it just became an opportunity for us to pour into them. Um, Now, then there have been other situations that they just didn't get it. Um, We we tried to help them figure out, listen, we we need you to do this. We need you to not do these things. Uh, And some of them were not severe, but questionable. And we had to sit down myself and our middle school pastor, and we sat down together uh, with this gentleman and said, look, 
we've talked about your expectations. We've talked with you personally about what are some things that we can help you do in order to fulfill these things, and we just don't see any progress, change, or conformity to our expectations. Well, I, his response was very much he was doing his own thing. He was doing his own agenda. And we said, you know, we appreciate what you're doing, not necessarily how you're doing it. And the fact that you're doing it in opposition to what we're trying to accomplish, it just doesn't seem like it's going to fit. And um, about a week later, he sent me an email and said, you know what, you're right. I think I'm just going to step away. Okay. That makes it pretty easy. Now, granted, you still have to deal with the students and the parents who are now wondering why did he step away. Uh, and so you've got to tread carefully, lovingly. Um, and we, again, we come back to our, I don't want to use the word process, but the paperwork that we put out there and say, this is what we ask of you. This is what we expect of you. And if you aren't willing to follow it, no hard feelings. Go, go to another place of ministry. Or you can come in line. I know that sounds harsh, but in some cases, it's got to be done. It just has to be. There was another question here. Let me see if I can see it. Um, oh, training sessions. Yes. We, <clears throat> over the years, I've done monthly meetings. Um, we've done quarterly meetings. Annual meetings just weren't enough. Um, we have tried Wednesday nights after church. We've tried different things. And what we did is we just started asking because our percentages, especially when we were doing monthly, every third Wednesday of the month, it was just, it was too much. You know, it was a long day for us. It was a long day for them. And it was a long day for their children if they had children and needed to get home in time. So we, we just asked them, what's convenient for you? And what we've settled on, and so far it works for us, is we combine our fellowship time with our meeting time. And so Sunday morning, once a quarter, uh, our next one is September 9th. After the service, we prepare lunch for them, and we eat lunch together. We fellowship and play a little bit together, and then we do training. And part of that training is um, how can you improve as a, as a leader? How can you improve in this area of personal integrity or in communication or facilitating a group? Um, some practical ministry thing, but then we get feedback. And we're, gonna, we're, we're budgeting in about 30 minutes this, this next meeting. You tell us, you've been working with us now sometimes three years, six years, four years, one month. You tell us what are things that you see that need to change, improve, modify uh, about our programming, our ministry, our whatever. And so we want to hear their feedback. And what we've discovered is when, when they don't just sit and have to listen, but actually have the opportunity to give feedback, they are far more likely to attend. And so we, we try and find a time that's convenient. We've listened to what they've suggested, and then we give them opportunities to give feedback rather than just learn something. Great. Uh, next to last question here is for Zach. And uh, the question is, basically, how do I help integrate our students into the life of the larger church? And this is for the right now. How do I integrate the students into the larger church right now? But second, how do I equip them to be integrated into a larger church because everybody knows how frustrating it is. You get a kid in ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th grade, and then they're gone to college somewhere, and you hear that they're not involved in a church wherever they end up. So how do I help integrate our students into the life of the larger church? This is a great question, yeah. <clears throat> you know, there's uh, statistics that come, you hear all the time, you know, for, of how many students just fall away from the church and Christianity after high school. And uh, so it's... I think it's great that we're realizing that we need to have them involved in the church as a whole, right? So there's, so what, 
what what we need to be teaching is we need to be teaching that these students, even though they're in middle school and high school, that they are members of the church and constantly be providing opportunities for them to be involved in the rest of the church. I mean, think think through getting your young men involved in whatever men's ministry is doing, your young women, whatever women's ministry you're doing. Look for ways to serve, whether it be in the nursery or with senior citizens. Um, I think um, Brushy Creek. Where's James? James is in, Yeah, Brushy Creek. They have a really great deal where um, he has talked with the senior citizens, the uh, old folks, and have had them basically adopting um, kids in the high school so that they can blend the two ministries together. And it's been awesome. You've got these senior citizens who are taking these kids out to eat and giving them wisdom and praying over them. And then they get have a couple times a year, they get together for a banquet and it's just awesome. So just, we need to, it's our job to help our students realize that they're not just a part of this youth group, but they're a part of the church. We need to think of, uh, there's a guy who spoke at this, at the Iron Iron Conference, maybe six years ago, five or six years ago, talked about how had a really great illustration that the youth group should be more like minor league baseball is to the major league instead of college football is to the pros because the goal in minor league is for these guys to get all the tools that they need so that they can go into the majors, right? College football is w- trying to make a big team now. They don't care what happens to you after you leave there. It's, it's about winning now. So your goal is not to have a really big growing youth group. It's to develop believers to disciple young men and young women so that they become godly men and godly women. And they need to be challenging your seniors that when they go to college, that they need to get involved in a local church where they go. That's the biggest step. And Rob even, I I, I can't say anything without referring to something that Rob has said before. Um, But, you know, Rob was talking about how when uh, he went to college. It took him a while to realize that you need, we that you're supposed to be a part of a local church, and I think we're doing a bad job sending students off. So we need to be making sure that uh, equipping seniors say, yeah, when you go to this college, make sure, and then helping them, calling around, finding a good church for them to be a part of, and then encouraging them to be a part of a local church when they go to college, and then following up with them afterwards. You know. Don't, don't, just, don't just have your, your world focused on your youth group here and now, but have it focused on these students growing into godly men and godly women and that you can give them mentorship even after they leave, pointing them towards being involved in local churches. And then, you know, that's, I mean, I think that's the key we're missing is they're falling away because they're moving away often and then allowing lethargy to, to set in. And I know for me too, like it was, that's one of the biggest things I tell people when they go away to college, find a local church to be involved in because it took me a couple years to realize that that's what I was supposed to be doing also. Uh, campus ministries are awesome, but they're not the church, right? Challenge kids, oh, you want to be involved in campus ministry? That's great. You need to also be involved in a local church. Feel free to email us as well because we have, you know, four or 500 churches that come here every year. And so if you're Students are going to a college. We probably know a church nearby. Uh, if you're like, man, I don't know any churches in the Charlotte area, uh, we might. So, uh, all right. Last question is for Rob. Uh, this morning we talked a lot about uh, sharing and accountability and openness. And the question says, I want to have openness and sharing and accountability with somebody. 
but I got nobody, and I got nobody on the horizon. So how do I cultivate that, or how do I find that? Yeah, good question, and I think that that is a very common thing that we see with student pastors that come in is they feel isolated, that there's not fellowship within the pastoral staff or the group of elders, however the church is structured. Um, And the first thing I want to say is don't give up. Don't give up in that. Uh, play the play the long game. Uh, you, you very well may be the catalyst that God uses to change that aspect of the church. To because uh, sadly, yeah, people don't know how to disciple. People don't know how to have accountability and fellowship because it's been lost in the church. And discipleship is supposed to be handed down. And but when it's missed, uh, what I mean, you got study, you got books, you got podcast. But how to how to really have relationship with one another that is Christ honoring and iron sharpening iron and then that gets that gets missed and then man, I don't I don't know how to do it and so it may take you doing it from a position and what can be difficult is that the senior pastor or the other pastors are resistant to it is doing it in such a way that doesn't seem like you're usurping authority as if you're trying to lead uh, but doing it in a way that's that's supportive of their leadership coming underneath their leadership but loving them, supporting them, but intentionally trying to build relationships that breaks through that wall that's up. Um, and that might be long and painful, and you might get uh, rejected a lot, but, uh, but encourage you to, to not give up in that, to pursue it. Um, and having said that, um, I do think that while you play that out, men, to seek it wherever you can find it. And for that, I've, uh, is, uh, is Ricky in here? Ricky? We hadn't planned this out until just a little while ago. Oh, right there. Ricky, do you mind coming up and talking about? Uh, <laughs> yes. Thanks, Rob. Um, I heard Rob once say the danger of isolation. So that's one thing I heard you say. And I think, I think we are isolated because we insulate ourselves. And so the danger of kind of living in a vacuum in our own ministry uh, is toxic. So the best advice I would give you on this is, first of all, get over yourself. Okay? You are not that big of a deal. So you are there to advance the gospel and make the name of Jesus known, not there to establish your own kingdom and become the biggest, coolest youth group in town. So you have to get over yourself, and then you have to realize in that it's not about me. So if you simply did the math on the percentage of the unreached people in your community— compared to the number of students in your community, compared to the number of kids in your youth group, you would quickly conclude there's a lot of work to do, and there's no way that I can do this on my own. So Columbus, Georgia, for example, were 85% unchurched in Columbus, Georgia. Let me give you another example. I was doing some consultation with the church in Hartwell, Georgia, not far from here, okay? In Hartwell, Georgia, there are three thousand middle school and high school students in this small community and there are 100 churches that seems like a reasonable ratio but they're 80 percent lost in hartwell georgia so the chasm that we have to reach requires us to reach beyond ourselves we cannot afford to be insulated and we have to recognize the huge danger when we become isolated so i would say then two things um I have to reach out and initiate contact. What does Proverbs 18 tell me? Real simple principle. A man that has friends 
must show himself friendly. So I always choose to look at this as if I'm a marketing agent. I have to generate calls, right? So if I, wanna, if I want to build relationships with others for the sake of reaching my community, I have to be willing to generate those leads within those around me. That means I'm not going to wait on somebody to call me. I'm going to initiate the contact with youth pastors and youth leaders and churches in my area. Hey, man, how are you doing? How are things going to your church? You want to grab some lunch? Let's get some guys together. So don't sit back and wait. You be the one to reach out. That would be wise counsel I would give for you. If you don't have an existing network in your area that already exists that you know about, you may find by reaching out to others that one actually does exist and youth pastors get together regularly for lunch in your community. You need to connect into that. If there's not one, start it. It's really not hard. Just reaching out and trying to find opportunities to go get lunch. If you're in Georgia, I will buy that meal for you. I will make that happen. If you are in a neighboring state convention, whether you're Baptist or not, you let me know. I will make that happen for you. I can commit that to you. I promise. Okay? And then the, the last piece of advice I will give us, this leads to reaching uh, our communities for the gospel. As I reach out to others and I realize the desire and the importance of working to, uh, with others, start out by leaning into each other's. Because I think what we oftentimes do is we sit in our insulated world we come up with this wonderful idea that oftentimes looks like in an event. Then when we get into the planning, we realize that, A, I don't have enough people or I don't have enough money. So then I choose to reach out and get others, hey, will you come support my event? Okay, And sometimes that works, but most of the time it doesn't. To me, what works more effectively is to start out by reaching out with others and let your network organically come up with an idea. So, hey, I have a relationship with somebody. What if we started out with this idea? What if we did together blank? And I've got to be willing to let go of some of that ownership. But what grows out of it is a corporate kingdom-minded opportunity to reach my community. In that, inevitably, you're going to build relationships. Because the best way to build relationships with somebody else is to sweat alongside them. So um, if I'm doing that, on the campuses of my ministry, and we're wearing out our tennis shoes together by going on campus, it's going to make a difference. I'm going to build relationships. We're going to sweat next to each other, and the kingdom's going to grow. Great. Okay. These answers, and we know uh, this teaching, that's a lot of teaching, a lot of fast. Uh, That's a lot of topics. So this isn't the end of the matter. This is the beginning of it, right? This should be conversation starters. So let this kind of, and your notes that you took during, um, during this panel discussion and during the sessions you've sat in, let this be the topic of discussion as you drive back to Virginia, as you drive back to wherever home is. So let's take a break. Thank you guys. And uh, we'll see you in a few minutes.